The rest of us, let's go ahead and take our Bibles, if you would, turn to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, we're going to read the entire chapter. I don't know if I'll be able to get through the entire chapter, uh, knowing what I'm like with uh, trying to do passages. I, I knew I'd get at least one amen. Romans 6, you follow along silently as I read aloud. The scriptures tell us, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members servants to righteousness unto holiness. For when ye were the servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye were now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now being made free from sin and become servants of God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's look to the Lord in a word of prayer this morning. Lord, we're so thankful for the time together. God, I pray now that you'd fill me with the power of your spirit. I pray it'd help me to communicate your word faithfully, effectively, Lord. I pray for the spiritual needs represented here this morning, Lord, that they would be met. Lord, if there's one here today that doesn't know for sure they're on the way to heaven, Lord, I pray today would be a day of salvation for them. Uh, Lord, for those of us that are saved, I pray that we would search our hearts and consider, Lord, uh, who is it we're yielding ourselves, servants to obey. We're thankful for the time together. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. We've been doing a series of messages on the topic of continuing, and uh, as I kind of rounded out what I wanted to talk about, we talked about continuing uh, in, in uh, doctrine, continuing in prayer, uh, continuing in love, uh, and we talked uh, about the, the continuing in the faith last week, but the fact of the matter is, chapter 6 uh, of Romans asks the question, shall we continue in sin? That's an interesting question because... 
And it really ties in with what you read before in Romans chapter 5, but we didn't take the time to read. But basically, in Romans 5, Paul is informing us that once we have put our faith and trust in Christ as our Savior, once we've been born into God's family, the Bible teaches that our sin has been justified. Now, someone says, well, justification, what does that mean? The word justified has the idea of meaning that, that, that it, was, it was acquitted. It's been rendered to show that it, there's no penalty for it anymore. It's taken care of. Now, uh, sometimes you'll hear preachers say the word justified means just as if I'd never sinned. And while I'm not going to say that that's a bad thing, that really doesn't bring the, the, the true meaning of the word. The very word justified speaks to the fact that the action you're accused of did happen. Okay? Let me give you a for instance. If I was over at the independent bank getting some, some money out of my checking account, and somebody came up to me, stuck a gun in my back, and said, hey, give me your money or I'm going to shoot you. And we struggled, and in the course of the struggle, I ended up overpowering them somehow and taking their life. Would I be guilty of taking a life? What's the answer to that? Yes, I would. I'm alive and they're dead. We were, we were striding together in front of the camera. I'm alive, they're dead, and the reason they're dead is because of what I did in the struggle. On the other hand, though, if they brought me to trial and they accused me of murder, I suspect that once they saw the video of the thing, they'd come to the conclusions that even though, yes, I killed them, my actions were, what's the word we're going to say? <coughs> Justified. Because the guy was trying, he was threatening to take my life. Now, that, that's kind of the idea that Paul is making here in Romans chapter 5. Look. The, becoming a Christian doesn't mean that everything you've done in the past never actually happened. It did happen. And in fact, in a lot of times, it has consequences in your life. People ask me about this. Well, Pastor, what about a murderer on death row that gets saved? You really think God forgives him? Yeah. The Bible's very clear. God forgives him. Do they still have a death nail of the state? Yeah. What they're standing with God has nothing to do with the, the charges of the state, okay, folks? But in God's sight, they have been justified. So Paul talks about the fact that we've been justified freely through the Lord Jesus Christ. But he gets into chapter 6 and he brings up a question that knowing uh, the way our, our fleshly minds think, knowing the way carnal people can be, Paul asks this hypothetical question. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? If we're justified because of the grace. Now what is grace? Grace, of course, is unmerited favor. It's not something we earn. See, there's a lot of churches that will tell you that to obtain grace, you have to do this. If you're doing something for grace, folks, it's not grace. It's not grace. Grace is unmerited favor. Okay? So, the, the person is asking the question, well, if you're Paul, if you're telling me that all my sins have been justified freely through the grace of God, well, then should I continue in sin? That grace may amount. Should I keep sinning? Can I just do whatever I want? And, I, and of course, I've heard this many, many times. Remember, folks, I was a youth pastor for eight years, so I heard questions like that a lot. Amen. You know, what what can I still do? <laughs> and, and what can I get away with? Now, so, now that's because teenagers are foolish enough to ask a question like that out loud. We all think it. We just sort of know that. You know, we would say it out loud. Uh, but that's that's the way human nature is, is it not? Uh, what can I get away with uh, when I was in Bible college? Here I am, studying for the ministry. I believe God's called me to preach, amen? And I'm in Bible college, and after a while, I'm trying to figure this thing out. Now, if I'm in a class that meets three days a week, and that's worth three credit hours, that means I can miss three classes and still get credit for the class, right? 
Got so many classes. I would miss first semester, folks. Three classes. You know why? Because that's how much I could get away with. That's right. That's terrible. You were paying for that class. You're supposed to be there to learn so that you can be a better. But my human nature said, hey, if I can blow off class and go work a few extra hours and have extra money to pay on my school bill or get together with my friends or do whatever, you know, that's, a, you know, that, that's human nature. That's the way we tend to be. What can I get? Hey, the speed limit says 55. What are you going to set your cruise on? At least 60, come on. Lori <laughs> said cruise, what's a cruise? I mean, <laughs> uh, anyway, that's a little joke with Lori. <laughs> I'm not going to elaborate part of Anyway, if that's just human nature, folks. Let's be honest. Let's be honest. That, that's why it's a good thing to have rules. Parents say, well, well, I don't want to put rules and limits on my kids. Listen, your kid needs to know, here's the line. You don't want them. Because I guarantee you, if you tell your kid the line's there, he's going to be right up to the line. If he's like this kid was, he's going to be climbing over the line and seeing how far he can get from the line to the other one. So you want to establish those lines. You must, so Paul is giving some radical information. We're justified freely through his grace. But he anticipates, the Holy Spirit anticipates the human dream. Well, if that's the case, if I'm saved no matter what, and by the way, that's what the Bible teaches, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanseth us from how much of our sin, folks? All of our sin. How much of our sin was in the future when Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago? All of it. How much does his blood justify and cleanse us from? All of it. All of it. So, that's, that's, that, that's just kind of the way our, our, our carnal human minds do. So, Paul says, God forbid. Now, that phrase there, God forbid, if you look at it in the original, the, 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 the Greek word for God doesn't actually appear. It's kind of a saying like, May it never be so, or hope it never happens, be it far from my thoughts. Sometimes my wife and I will have uh, discussions. And I'll say, honey, you know, if I happen to be in a bad accident, God forbid. Now, why do I say it like that? Well, on one hand, I realize I could be in a bad accident. I, I spend about 40,000 miles a year behind the wheel of a vehicle. So, you know, if you talk to actuaries, that's, you know, there's probably a good chance of me being in some sort of accident at some point. Uh, but we say, God forbid, honey, one of these days when I die, God forbid, but am I good at die someday? Yeah, I'm good at die someday. So that, that phrase there just means, may it never be so, but at the same time, it also has the idea that that's not where we want to be thinking we are going. And the person asking the question, hey, can I assume whatever I want? You shouldn't be thinking that way. Okay? You're, you're not thinking in the right direction. God forbid. So Paul says, how should we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Now, Paul brings up, there, there's three key words in this chapter that are very important. And I want to make sure I get this far before I, I start plugging along so you'll get this. So if I don't get to verse 23, you'll still know what you should think when you get done with the chapter. Amen? There's three key words in here. And as I was studying this past week, I, I, I had several commentators uh, say this. And so I said, boy, that's, that's a great thing. I'd never looked at it like that myself before. Look in the first word of verse 3 says no. The first word of verse 6 is knowing. The first word of verse 9 is knowing. That's the very first key word. Know, understanding. Now the truth of the matter is there are all three different Greek words in the original, but they have the idea of mentally comprehending and understanding and realizing what it is we're saying. So to understand this topic, does God want me as one of his children that have put my faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? Does God say it's okay for me to just live my life the way I've been living it the whole time since before I got saved? 
I need to know some things. I need to understand. We're going to talk about that in the first few verses. The next key verse of this is found in verse uh, 11. The second, the second word of the verse. Likewise, reckon. Reckon. So the first key word is know. The second key word is reckon. The third key word is found in verse 13, the second verse. Neither yield. So know, reckon, and yield. Good, Pastor Mike. Can we go home now? No, you can't go home. Even though you got your three points in, you got to stick around a little while longer, all right? The first thing that Paul does is he says, listen, you got to know something. you got to realize, I want you to think back to when you got saved. I want you to think back to when you trusted Christ as your Savior. Now, in the early days of the church, when folks made a profession of faith, when they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, they generally followed the Lord and believers' baptism very quickly. Nowadays, churches sometimes will have classes. Nowadays, sometimes folks will put it off for a while for whatever reason. But in Bible times, you read in Acts chapter 2, and the Bible says that uh, the people that heard Paul preach in verse 38, they said, you know, they were convicted in their heart. They, they, the, the Holy Spirit pricked them in their heart. They said, what should we do? Peter said, repent and be baptized. He said, trust the Lord as your Savior, then follow him in believers' baptism. Now, folks, that was on the day of Pentecost. This is 50 days after all the crowds in Jerusalem were screaming crucified. And if you read, if you read Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2, he says, Jesus of Nazareth, whom ye crucified. I mean, what Peter's not soft pedal. Peter Peter's cutting the wound open and he's throwing salt in there. He's rubbing salt in. Jesus, whom ye have crucified. He says, hey, if you're serious about this, if you're really going to do what you need to do, you need to, number one, repent, then you need to be baptized. And the Bible says, the day which Matthew received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them 3,000 souls. 3,000 people. Now, boy, we think to ourselves, holy cow, man, I wish I could preach a message like Peter. Amen. I see 3,000 people trust. But if you read historians, Josephus, I think it is, estimates that for Passover, Jerusalem at that time may have had 3 million people there. So, as great as 3,000 sounds, <laughs> it was still a pretty small percentage. But. But of that percentage, those guys said, yeah, we're serious about this. And they were publicly baptized. They, they followed the Lord and believers' baptism right there in front of all the other people that were there. What a testimony for the Lord. Same thing with the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8. Same thing uh, with, with Paul there in Acts chapter 9. Same thing with Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. So that was kind of the pattern. So Paul is making, Paul is making an argument like this. Do you remember when you were baptized? You were baptized into his death. What do we say when someone follows the Lord and believers baptism? When Mike trusted the Lord as his Savior back when he was a young man, he said, Mike, upon your profession of faith in Jesus and obedience to his command, I baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried in the likeness of his death. Where do we get those words from? You see that there in Romans chapter 6? That's where we get it from. And what do we do? We dip them down in the water. Why? Because we're simulating, we're showing being buried. That baptism is a public way of identifying with the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I, I'm not the first person to originate this, but I tell folks baptism is like a wedding ring. A wedding ring doesn't make you married. You could get married without a ring. You really could. But in our culture, especially uh, people that say, hey, listen, I'm wearing my wedding ring. Why? I want to be identified as a married man. Not that any women in case don't care, amen. But, but I want to be identified as a married man. And I'm wearing this ring to show that I am trying to live up to my marriage vow. 
spouse. That's a public identification of the, the, the relationship that I have with my wife. Now, that's what baptism is to the Christian. It's a public identification of the spiritual relationship you have with God. So when you are buried with him unto death, just like Jesus died, he was in the grave for three days, then raised to walk in what? Newness of life. The picture of baptism, Paul says, is that we have been buried to our old life, our sinful life, and now we have a new life in God. We have a new life in Christ. Now, the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Now, as you listen to me this morning, I'm sure some of you think, well, Pastor Brian, I've seen you a couple times. You didn't look to me like you were listening to the new man. You sounded to me like the old man had you pretty cranked up. Uh, you, you, you weren't exhibiting that love, joy, and peace you talked about. You were exhibiting some definite hostility. Amen? Uh, you, now, here's the thing. When Paul is writing here in Romans, he's talking about how we are positionally. What does that mean, Pastor Mike? How does God see us? You see, folks, at the very moment that the Holy Spirit came into me and dwelt me, sealed me at the moment of salvation, I was just as saved in God's eyes as if I was walking the streets of glory right now. Positionally, I am God's child. So Paul is describing our position spiritually as believers. We have died to sin. We're supposed to be walking. And we've got to know this. We've got to realize this. We've got to recognize this. I've got a responsibility. Uh, quite often when I was a kid, sometimes folks would make plans and they say, hey, we're, we're all going to do this, Mike. You want to go? I said, yeah, let me check. And I'd go to my dad. i say, hey, dad, uh, the other guys are going to be going and doing this. Can I do that? And my dad would say, no, you can't do that. And I would say, dad, all the guys are doing it. And my dad would say, all the guys are my kid. You're my kid, and you can't do that. You're not doing it. Hey, Pastor Mike, sounds like you had a terrible... No, I had a great dad, wonderful dad. I love him dearly. I'm, I'm thankful for the way he raised me. But here's the thing. My dad was trying to point something out to me. Son, as my son, I have different expectations for you than what other people have for their kids. I have different rules for you than what other people may live by. Now, as believers, a lot of times, we're guilty of looking around and finding someone that we can say, okay, they're the benchmark. And folks, that's a big mistake. That's a big mistake. Some Christians get in trouble because they look up front of the preacher and say, well, there's, there's a pastor. He's the benchmark. Listen, folks, Jesus Christ is the benchmark. All the rest of us are flesh and blood human <laughs> beings, and there are things that we struggle with from time to time in our life practically. Not positionally. Positionally, once we're saved, once we're a child of God, we're a child of God. Who can separate us from the love of God? Paul asks in Romans, asks in Romans chapter 8. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Positionally, we're God's child. We're saved. We're on our way to heaven. But practically, here's the thing. God knows I'm saved, but how does everybody else know I'm saved? By the way I live my life. Isn't that what Jesus said in the Gospels? By their, what you shall know them? By their fruits. By what you produce. Remember we talked about abiding, being connected to the vine. 
The only way we can bear that fruit is if we stay connected to the vine that we talked about a few weeks ago there in John chapter 15. So Paul is saying here, listen, you got to know this. You got to remember this. You got to be aware of it, that as you as sin comes up, as things uh, come along, you got to remember, hey, listen, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I'm dead to that now. I'm dead to that now. I've died to that now. Verse 11, here we are, already on point number two. Look at that, it's quarter tilt, we're on point number two. Marshall, oh ye of little faith, amen? Here we are, we're halfway through the chapter, right? Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now now Paul is going from the positional part to the practical part. How is it that I deal with the sin in my life? How do I deal with it? Paul says the way you deal with this practically. Here's the position. You're God's child. You've got a new life in Christ. But here's the practical issue. How do you deal with this? You've got to reckon that you're dead to sin. Now, that's a hard thing to do. But when Paul says reckon here, he doesn't mean, you know, like, well, I reckon that's the way it ought to be. That's not, that's not what Paul is saying. The word reckon here means like an accounting. Okay? Look at the facts. You know, sometimes people get in trouble. You know, once in a while you hear about, you know, these uh, politicians, mayors, governors, whatever. Uh, they, they, there's all this money. They do an audit, and suddenly there's a bunch of money that's missing. <laughs> they say, hey, wait a Hold on. What happened? We're, we're, we're missing. We call that a reckoning. Now, you can say you're a wonderful politician, and you love everybody, and you're a servant of the public, and all that stuff. But if the reckoning shows you've got, you know, half a million dollars in a bank account in the Caymans or something, then that's just telling us something different. The truth matter is that's telling us something different. You've got to recognize the facts. You've got to do an account. Now, Paul is here saying, recognize the fact that you, as a believer in Christ, you're dead to sin. Sin doesn't have that hold on you anymore like it used to. Well, Pastor Mike, I still am tempted. I'm tempted too. I'm not suggesting that. What I'm saying is, as the temptation comes up, I've got to remember, wait a minute, I'm not serving sin anymore. I'm serving the Lord. Know this? Reckon. Now, we're on point number three. Man, we're screaming here. Amen? This might take a little longer, but that's okay. we got a little time left, okay? Now, look at verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. When we think of an addict, what do we think of? We think of somebody that is so under the power of whatever of substance they're struggling with that it controls their whole being, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we've all, we've all heard the, the horror stories of, of kids that steal from their parents. They steal from their grandparents. They steal from their kids. Now, before all of the drugs and things, addictions have been around, folks, probably, probably since the dawn of mankind. I remember hearing a story as a kid about a guy who, who praise the Lord, later he got saved. I think he was a Methodist evangelist. Uh, Mel Trotter, I remember the back. I might have the name wrong. But anyway, before he got saved, he was an alcoholic. He was addicted to alcohol. He's an alcoholic. And so he said, well, how bad an alcoholic? He said, he was such a bad alcoholic, his infant daughter died, basically because they, they couldn't afford to get a doctor. Now, who knows? Maybe she would have died anyway. Infant mortality rates were greater, you know, back then and stuff. Anyway, but couldn't afford a doctor and stuff. And so the, the baby's laying there in the funeral parlor, all that got ready to be married. He sneaks into the place, steals the shoes off her feet, takes them to a bar to try to get a drink. I mean, hey, that, how low can you get, amen? How bad can you get? 
But see, that was before he was saved, because before he got saved, before he come to know the Lord, the main driving factor in his life, folks, was alcohol. Now, we've got folks, they're the servants of alcohol, they're the servants of money, they're the servants of sex, they're the servants of, uh, of drugs. There's, there, there's lots of people, they're struggling with certain things, and that is reigning, that's ruling, that's their master, that's over. And Paul says, listen, you don't want to let sin rule your life. You can't do that as a believer. You shouldn't do that as a believer. Don't do that, all right? That you should obey it. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Now, here's that, that third principle. We've talked about knowing. We've talked about reckoning. Recognize the truth. I have the Holy Spirit indwelling in me. I've got the, the Scripture helping me. I've got the power of God helping, enabling me to do the right thing. Now I've got to make a decision. Am I going to yield? Now the word yield here has the idea of presenting. Presenting. You know, I'm always, you very rarely find me without my Swiss Army knife multifunction tool in my pockets. By the time you get another one, I busted the point off of a couple of blades and done. I use that all the time. Honey, that light switch isn't working. Do I go look for my tools? No. I get out my switch. Sorry. I don't, I don't even turn the breaker off. It'll go off in a minute anyway. Amen. 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 I use that all the time. And sometimes I'll be with somebody and they'll be trying to cut something or they'll be trying to do something. And I'll say, hey, here, use mine. Now what I'm doing is I'm yielding, I'm presenting, I'm offering. My Swiss officer's multifunction tool, I'm presenting that for them to use for an instrument for whatever they want to use it for. Now, understand what Paul is saying. As a born-again believer, every time you are tempted to sin, whatever the sin is, whatever the sin is, every time you're tempted to sin, you now have a decision to make. I can use my eyes that the Lord has given me to give me sight. I can use my eyes to read his word, or I could use my eyes, I could yield them to look at stuff that I shouldn't be looking at. I got a decision, right? You know, somebody said, well, pornography is no big deal, Pastor, right? The Bible never says, thou shalt not look at Playboy. Well, Jesus said, if you look at a woman and lust after her, you're the same as the adulterer. I say that covers pornography, Amen. Uh, Job says, I made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I look upon a maid to lust after her? So, maybe, maybe, that's a, that maybe, that's a, maybe that's a problem. So, we've got to say, hey, listen, am I going to yield to do this? Now, does your flesh want to do whatever it wants to do? Of course it does. Your flesh doesn't care. Your flesh wants what it wants, amen? Doctor tells you, you know, you're 30 pounds overweight. You've got to cut back on polyunsaturated fats. You go out of the doctor's office, and McDonald's is selling double quarter pounders, two for three dollars. Well, you got to get a couple. That's a great deal, right? Smell those quarter pounders cooking. Hey, uh, you know that's that's the way sin appeals to us. Amen. It appeals to our flesh. Now Paul is saying, listen, don't yield yourselves. Don't yield your bodies as members of unrighteousness. Don't present that to sin and say, okay, you can do whatever you want. We read in the scriptures a couple times of circumstances that just blow our minds. In Genesis chapter 19, when the two uh, angels that were sent 
to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, and they were told to get Lot and his family out of there. We read about what happened. You know, Lot invited them into his house. The men surrounded the house. Uh, they wanted him to send the guys out to him. And what does Lot do to try to make them happy? Lot says, hey, I'll give you my daughters. Man, when I read that, that is unbelievable to me. Are you kidding me? But that's the idea. That, that has the exact same idea as what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 6. He's going to yield. He's going to present his daughters to this un, ungodly, unrighteous crowd to do whatever they want to do uh, to try to protect. Uh, Paul says, hey, don't yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness. Hey, I can use my mouth to sing praises to the Lord. Or I can use my mouth to curse the blue streak. They're telling her to joke. I can use my mouth to be a witness to the Lord Jesus Christ, or I can use my mouth to be a backbiting gossip and, and, and be talking trash about people behind their backs. What's he quite? What is it? This is very practical. Don't yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness. Don't do that. Don't allow that. Now, here's the reason. Here's the reason, okay? Moving down to the same chapter. In verse 14, sin shall not have dominion over you if you're not under the law but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? God forbid. May it never be so. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves, servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey. Folks, do you understand that whoever it is you're given into, whatever it is you're given into, that's your, that's your boss in your life. You're, you're that's the servant of that. Let's go back to the Garden of Eden. Here's Adam and Eve. Who were they serving in the Garden of Eden before chapter 3? Serving the Lord. They're serving God. They're doing what God wants them to do. They're being obedient. Everything is great. Everything is wonderful. Then Satan shows up and says, yeah, God, did God really say that? And a couple verses later he says, no, God didn't say that. God's lying to you. He won't kill you. He first questions God's word, then he denies God's word. Now what happened, folks? The Bible says Eve looked at the fruit. She saw that it was good for food, plus the flesh. Must have been hungry right about then, amen. And Pastor Mike, I can identify with this, wrap it up, okay? <laughs> she saw it was good for food, plus the flesh, it was pleasant to the eyes, whatever the fruit was. By the way, the Bible doesn't say it was an apple. Okay? Now, I, I, don't, go, go, don't go home and throw away your children's books where it's a big apple tree and they're pulling the big apple line. You don't have to throw away your apple phone with a bite out of it. And push right away. That's what that's representing. In case, in case you don't understand that. In case you didn't realize that. That is what that's, un, that's representing. You take a bite of the knowledge. That is what that's representing. That's an allusion to that. I have an apple phone. It's up there on the pulpit. I'm not telling you to throw it. I'm just saying. Whatever the fruit was, we don't know what the fruit was. But, she, but it looked good. It looked good. Pleasant to the eyes. Blessed to the eyes. What's the next phrase say? A tree to be desired to make one wise. I'm going to be so smart. Once I experience this fruit, things are going to just be so much better. I'm going to have so much more experience. I'm going to have so much more. See, folks, the minute that Eve took it, and gave it to Adam, and the two of them ate of it, they stopped serving God, and they started serving Satan. Now, 
personally, I feel like that ought to help us with some of these besetting sins in our lives. Hey, when I'm running my mouth, I'm actually serving Satan. I'm yielding. I'm presenting that to him. I'm allowing him to get the glory. I'm allowing his purposes to come to pass. I'm allowing hurtful things to happen. I'm serving him. I don't want to do that. Knowing that, that to whom you yield yourself, servants to obey, his servant ye are. I don't want to be the servant of Satan. But folks, anytime I give in sin in my life, and unfortunately I do, and don't look out of your nose too far at me. You're right there by me. Unfortunately, you do sometimes too. We're so, so Paul's making an important thing up. Do you not understand? Anytime you yield to that, you're serving him. I don't think there's a person in this room who say, hey, I want to serve Satan. I know there are some people, man, they're, they, they're members of the church of Satan and they're serving. They're but I, I don't think anybody that came to Calvary Baptist Church in Caseville this morning came here thinking, boy, I'm looking forward to serving Satan today, man. I'm just, I really want to serve him as good. No, we don't want to. We want to serve the Lord. Well, the only way we can serve the Lord, folks, is if we yield our members as servants to righteousness, okay? God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, past tense, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. Now I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh, for as ye have yielded your members servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members servants to righteousness unto holiness. Now notice the question Paul asks in verse 21. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is what, folks? Death. Now, verse 23. The wages of sin is death. Now, we quite often, I quite often, I, I love using that verse when I'm witnessing to people, when I'm presenting the gospel to folks. So often I talk to people, they say, well, Pastor Mike, I'm hoping that when I die someday, God puts all my good stuff over here, all my bad stuff around something really good. I always imagine I slip it. That's not like bad news for you. The paycheck of sin is death. It's death. And that's a true statement, and there's nothing wrong with using that verse. But let's understand the context of the verse, okay, folks? I'm a great believer in preaching the Word of God in context, in the setting it's giving, applying it the way it was originally being applied. If I... Let, let's, let's give a, a real, well, we pick on David all the time, but it's such, it's such a great example. And that's why the Bible gave it to us. Corinthians 10 tells us that. The Old Testament saints were given to us for an example so that we could learn from them and hopefully not do this. Here's David. David is a man after God's own heart, the Bible says. He's the king. He's serving God. But one day there, in chapter 11, 2 Samuel, one day David sees something he shouldn't see. That's you thinking back. He starts thinking things he shouldn't think. And he gets to think himself, well, hey, I am the king. Advertisers have been using that for years. I deserve it. Amen. Now, I'm not preaching against your hair color, ladies. Color your hair. I don't care. I'm just saying, I'm just saying that that's not new. You thought L'Oreal came up with that? That ain't new. That's been around a long time. I'm the king. I, and David worked it out how he could fulfill the desires, those sinful desires that, that he was experiencing. Now, that's, that's a picture of what James says. Lust, when it conceives, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it's finished, brings forth death. How many people died as a result of David's sin? 
Well, Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, died. The historian Josephus says Uriah wasn't the only Israelite soldier killed that day, folks. Josephus says Uriah had some friends that when Joab gave the order, retreat and leave Uriah hanging out in the wind. He said, we're not leaving our buddy hanging out in the wind. And they lost other guys as well. The Bible doesn't mention that. But Josephus, the historian, says that's what happened. The baby that David and Bathsheba conceived died. Yeah, boy, that's terrible. Two people died and those other soldiers missed. Folks, that doesn't end. It doesn't end. David's oldest son, Amnon, died. David's son, Absalom, died. The 30,000 Israelites that followed Absalom in his rebellion against his father in the Civil War died. Ahithophel, the grandfather of Bathsheba that tried to counsel Absalom to take out David, he hung himself and he died. I mean, now get what Paul is saying here. What fruit did you have from sin? What do we get from that? What, 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 is, what is the fruit of pornography nowadays? Broken marriages. Ruined relationships. What's the fruit of gossip? Church splits. People, I ain't talking to them. They're talking to you. I'm going to ask you for everything. You don't forgive me. What, 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 what fruit did you have? What fruit did you have? The wages, the paycheck of sin is still death. Listen, folks, as a child of God, if you trust in Christ as your Savior, the Bible teaches that you're on your way to heaven and you'll be there for all eternity. But don't kid yourself for a second and think that if you don't serve sin in your life, you're not still going to experience the wages of sin. And the wages of sin is death. Okay. That's still true. Get Understand the context Paul is writing here. Now, wait a minute. What's the wages of righteousness? That's spiritual fruit, amen? That's life. That's life. Hey, if I use my mouth to encourage and to exhort and to witness and to spend the gospel, man, that can produce life. Whereas if I use my mouth to run people down and, and gossip and cause trouble, that's killing stuff. Nothing else will kill my testimony as a Christian, amen? To kill my ability to, to, to have a good witness and testimony. So, know, reckon, and yield. Let me give you one more thing. Here's a bonus one, all right? This one comes from William McDonald. Verses 1 through 11. In fact, I wrote this in my Bible because I thought, man, that is good, but I can't preach two sermons, so we'll just stick with the one. Romans 6, 1 through 11. I cannot sin. I cannot sin. I'm dead to it. Verses 12 through 14. I need not sin. God has given me the power to overcome that. I need not do that. I don't, well, how often do you hear people, well, I just can't help myself. Hey, you know what? You're right. You can't help yourself, but the Holy Spirit indwelling you can help you. That can help you. He can help you. You could be a new creature. Verses 15 through 19. I must not sin. Shall we sin because we're under law, under grace? God forbid, I don't want to be serving Satan. Every time I sin, every time I get in the flesh, every time I allow uh, my, my old nature to take control, I'm no longer serving God. Folks, if you had asked me, oh, wow, how old am I now? 57. If you'd asked me 40 years ago at the age of 17, when I was graduating, what are you going to do with the eyes of man? I'm going to serve God with my life. I'd love to tell you the last 40 years I've served God faithfully, but you know what? I'd be lying to you because there's times that I've served Satan. Because I allow the flesh. I allow my anger. 
I allowed temptations. Well, and, and I, I gave into it. That's right. We're fired. Okay, that doesn't mean you can do that. Do you want to? I can't do that. I don't want to be Satan's servant. Amen? I want to be thought of as God's servant. I want to do what it is God wants me to do. So I, I must not. And lastly, the last few verses there. The last note that, that McDonald writes in his commentary, he says, I'd better not. I'd better not. Because if I do, what can I expect? Back when I was a youth pastor, I know you said, I thought you were going to stop. Well, there you go. Back when I was a youth pastor, I would deal with kids. And sometimes the kids would have older brothers and sisters that were going through tough times in their life because they're going through that rebellious stage, you know? Many kids go through it. Not all. Many kids go through it. Did you go through it, Pastor Mike? I got kicked out of school in seventh grade. I, I was telling people I could care what you say, care less what you say. I'm doing my own thing, blah, blah. Yeah, I went through it. I'm just glad I went through it before I had a driver's license. Couldn't do any damage, amen? But yeah, I went through it. And I talked to kids as a youth pastor. I said, hey, what do you think about, you know, your older brother, your older sister? And they would look at me and they say, Pastor Mike, you're crazy. They used to get along so good with mom and dad. It used to be so fun, you know, the family did it, and now it's all just screaming and fighting. All, oh, it's terrible. And I'd say, do you want to end up like them? You know what they would always tell me? No. I don't want to be like that. And then I'd tell them, well, here's the problem. You're on a path right now in your life that leads there. And if you don't get off of that path, and get on the right path, that's where you're going to end up. Hey, my friend, if you've got a place that you can get away from some of this ice and snow for a couple months in Florida, God bless you. We'll see you in the spring. Amen. Go for it. But if you get on I 75 North and say, I'm going to Florida, it ain't going to happen. <laughs> it ain't going to happen. It's just going to get worse. Gonna be more snow, gonna be more ice. We got a lot of people that say, I don't want my life to end up here, but they're on that path. I talk to girls. Why are you dating this guy? He's what is it with girls and the bad boys, amen? Why are you dating this guy? Well, you know, I'm not I'm not serious about it. I'm just having some fun. I, I'll never marry him. Hey, can I clue you in something? The last one you date is the one you marry, amen? <laughs> If they're not marriage material, don't date them. But I hear them all, oh, I'm not going to marry him. I'm just having, I'm not. You're on a path, and it ends up. And when, my, when my brother David told me he wasn't going to go to Bible college, I'm going to go to the university. I said, David, do you, do you, do you believe God's called you to preach? I said, yeah. I said, then you need to go to Bible college. Because how many open university graduates do you know are pastors? Now, I'm sure there is one. Somebody hears this broadcast or podcast says, well, I went there, I'm the ministry. God bless you. No offense to anybody. I'm just saying, though, Oakland University doesn't advertise we turn out great pastors. Amen? That's not, what they, that's not what they're trying to turn out. That's not where that path ends up. That's what Paul's saying, folks. I better not. I better recognize that every time I yield myself to sin, that I am on a path that's going to produce bitter, bitter fruit. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Lord, thanks for this time together this morning. Thank you for your word and how it speaks to our hearts. God, I pray each one of us here 
would examine our own hearts and lives and consider, Lord, 